Hello, uh, this is Jeffrey Meldon welcoming you to Meldon Law and Friends. This is our 40th uh, episode and uh, we are not only on Facebook and YouTube, but also 39 audio platforms and uh, we're excited uh, to bring another great episode of Meldon Law and Friends uh, to you. Uh, I want to announce that this coming Saturday, July 31st, at Citizens Park in Gainesville, Florida, from 10 to 12, we are uh, sponsoring the PAVE Stop the Violence Back to School Rally. Uh, Meldon Law is going to be uh, giving away, along with other sponsors, 3,000 backpacks filled with school supplies and there's also going to be uh, a lot of other goodies. Uh, Kerry, who's the uh, uh, guest speaker and what show is he on uh, in TV? The uh, guest speaker is a gentleman by the name of Todd Bridges. Uh, he was formerly a child star in the show Different Strokes, which was aired in the 80s and uh, his name in the show was, was Willis, which I'm sure everyone knows the phrase, uh, what, what you talking about, Willis, when uh, it's uh, said in the show. But apparently the, uh, the show had a lot of uh, bad luck. Uh, he's the only remaining surviving uh, actor from that show, which was a fairly popular show in the 1980s. And he had gone through some difficult times uh, dealing with uh, substance abuse, and violence in his past. So uh, I think as of 15, 20 years ago, he reformed. And part of his uh, reform reformation project is going around the country and teaching young children about violence, the effects of violence, not only on your career, but also on you know, other people's lives and how it can affect more, you know, a multiplier of people as a result of making decisions that you feel emotionally at the time and the repercussions that occur. So uh, Pastor Carl Anderson, who is uh, integral to this uh, particular project, which has been going on for 22 years, uh, and PAVE stands for People Against Violet Violence Enterprises, has been organizing this backpack giveaway, which occurs once a year, and there's 3,000 backpacks that are fully loaded with school supplies. And this Saturday from 10 a.m. till noon, any individuals that want to get a backpack and just show up to Citizens Park, not Citizens Field, but Citizens Park, which is adjacent to Citizens Field, and get your uh, your backpack. And it's filled with school supplies. There, it's it's a great event. There's uh, free vaccines if necessary, and there's also a uh, free um, uh, shots. Uh, or, I'm sorry, free uh, testing if testing is needed. So, with that being said. Uh, we uh, are looking forward to this July 31st, 10 a.m. to noon, coming down to uh, the area next to uh, Citizens Field, which is called Citizens Park. Yes, and uh, in addition to the backpack, you can get your Melvin Law shades, and uh, uh, we are very, very excited about uh, these new additions. We just got them in uh, this morning, and uh, I think I'm going to start. We have both... Uh, blue and green so you get your choice of colors and uh, anyhow it's it's a very cool event the sheriff's going to be there the chief of police is going to be there lots of uh, folks that are very involved in the community are going to be there uh, today as our special guest we have uh, uh, a lady and gentleman who are very very involved in our community and I would like to uh, welcome uh, Chris Russell uh, who is the uh, uh, director of the Haven Hospice. Uh, he's currently vice president. Is that correct, Chris? That's correct. And Sharon Jones. And what is your title there, Sharon? My title is uh, vice president for uh, development, but actually that means I'm in charge of fundraising. Well, that's a great and the maybe the most important <laughs> position, okay? Because you know, without gas, you can't run a car unless you have a Tesla or something else. Right. <laughs> so anyhow, let's jump right into it. Uh, Chris, 
Uh, give us a short background as far as uh, how you got into Haven Hospice uh, and, uh, you know, some of the things that you do there. Uh, thanks, Jeffrey. About uh, 10 years ago, in 2010, um, decided to, I'm a nurse by trade, decided to shift uh, my career goals a little bit, uh, realized uh, I was good at talking to people about what was wrong with them and answering questions, and that led to... Uh, working with some hospice nurses on certain committees at the hospital, and that led to me becoming a hospice nurse and have trouble saying no, so every position that came my way, I guess I just accepted and worked my way up. So. And, and can you tell us a little bit about um, your experience as far as working your way up? What, what were some of the most impactful um, experiences that you've had? Ooh, that's an excellent question, and there's been a lot of experiences in 10 years. Got, I've gotten to meet a lot of different families. Um, probably my most impactful ones um, deal with uh, young family members. You know, when, when I say young, I'll put 40, uh, down, 40 and less for me, uh, just to give you a reference. Uh, when they encounter a horrible disease, a life-limiting illness, um, just... Uh, Working with these families and getting to be involved in that care uh, takes a lot of uh, planning and a lot of thought behind the scenes uh, and really, really helping guide them down this journey. You only get one chance at it. There's no second chances at helping them guide them through this process, and so you want to do the best you can. So I've, I've had uh, close friends who've uh, passed away and have uh, spent their last days uh, with Haven Hospice uh, out at your facility off 39th um, Avenue. Um, and I was just amazed at the care, the love that um, exists uh, in Haven Hospice. Um, I was interested to find out that um, uh, not only do you do end-of-life care, but you help people uh, who are in difficult situations uh, as well as end-of-life care. That's, that's absolutely correct. We have a, a number of different programs at Haven, uh, one of which uh, being advanced care planning, where we can come out and work with you and your family on what your end-of-life wishes are and get those documented up and a copy given to your doctor, as well as you get to keep a copy. We bring a copy back out to you so that people know what you want to have done when a certain time comes. So like advanced directives, uh, is that what you're talking about? Advanced directives are part of it. Um, advanced care planning, really, you can uh, guide your family through what traditions you want done, um, what kind of events you want to do towards the end of your life so that they can make sure certain things happen. That's probably one of the most fulfilling things we've done at Haven was start our Make a Difference Fund. It's 100% funded by our employees, and that way we can try and make mm -hmm. something happen for families, whether it's get them plane tickets to have a loved one they haven't seen come and see them, an air conditioner unit for their house because it's too warm. You know, we, we really have tried to reach out and make this the best possible experience for these families. So um, you have an actual um, uh, facility um, out, uh, what's the park called out there? The health area, park. The, health park. the health park. The health yeah. park. Yeah, and um, but in addition to that, you were telling me most people uh, choose to spend their last days at home. Correct. About that's less than ten percent of our care are provided for within an inpatient center like that. About ninety percent of our care is provided wherever a patient calls the calls their self, wherever they're living, whether it's a house, like, you know, an apartment, or even at an ALF, an assisted living facility, we can come in and provide care anywhere possible. I know that a lot of times um, hospitals will, the doctors will collaborate and uh, meet with uh, the patient and the families and say, there's only so much more we can do for you at this point, um, and uh, you must get a lot of referrals that way. Absolutely. Uh, a, a lot of them do come in from, you know, a, a, tip, uh, a physician type setting, you know, where, as you said, they've done as much curative medicine as they can. And so they'll call us in and actually sometimes have us deliver the, the difficult news. So 
how how does how do you deal with that? I mean, you're you're helping people, which must be incredibly rewarding. On the other hand, you're dealing with very very sad situations day in and day out. Emotionally, how do you deal with all of that? Who uh, personally, it's a it's a fine line to walk. It's it just like any other um, healthcare situation. It's hard to turn that switch off. So you have to have a buddy system so if you're getting to the point where you need to start taking care of yourself you've got somebody close at work that can deliver that information to you so yes it's a it's a very very fine delicate line to walk um, sometimes but you have to give yourself some space uh, it's not for everybody it is mentally and emotionally challenging as you said um, but it is the most rewarding work I've ever done well that's amazing and um, I know for the families um, that it's very difficult because someone in the family will jump in and say, I'm going to help, right? And then all of a sudden they get worn down and emotionally dragged out and they're going, wait a minute, I signed up for more than what I uh, you know, thought it was going to be. Tell us a little bit about how that works. We, within hospice, what, whatever program you're on, there are four levels of care and one of those is respite care. That does not mean you have to have a symptom to come into one of our inpatient care centers. We can provide a five-day respite for that caregiver where we're going to take care of that family member for you. You can certainly come and visit, but you don't have to do any of the caregiving. We'll go ahead and take care of that for you, let you get some rest and relaxation so that you're balanced up and ready to go hmm. after five days. And, and that's part of the planning that you all do um, in the beginning if you're uh, moving uh, somebody to their home or they're staying in their home that you help sit down and you have the experience um, of dealing with this you know, day in and day out, so you're able to give them some guidance uh, based on your experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now, we have a question here. Um, are Haven services available outside of Alachua County? <laughs> Go ahead, Sharon. You, why don't you talk a little? Uh, yes, the Haven services are provided in um, 18 counties, Alachua being one of them. Um, and I'll try to name them. Um, so it's Alachua, Clay, uh, Duval. Actually, I'd do better with cities. Jacksonville, <laughs> Chiefland, Lake City, Orange Park, DeLand, Gainesville, Palatka, Chiefland. And the surrounding uh, and the, communities that's around eight, Yes, that's 18 counties. So Haven covers 18 counties. Uh, and they have five care centers, uh, just as the E.T. York Care Center is located in Gainesville, Florida, as Jeffrey mentioned, on 39th Avenue. We have a care center in Palatka, the Roberts Care Center. We have a care center located in Orange Park, the Custard Care Center. We have uh, another care center in Lake City and we have one in Chiefland. Uh, and so we have uh, extensive coverage over 18 counties. Now, are, are these residential centers or are they offices to help people? They are, uh, they're care centers, so we have inpatient beds in all of those centers, uh, and we have administrative offices that are generally attached to the care centers, as they are at ET York. Uh, what amazed me when I was out there was how uh, friendly and supportive the staff is. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that? Uh, yes, um, Haven does have just wonderful, uh, caring, giving staff. It takes a very special person to be a hospice caregiver because as Jeffrey pointed out, it is um, emotionally very draining, uh, but these caregivers uh, get up every day and deliver the same kind of caring, compassionate uh, caregiving that uh, as if that were the first time they'd ever done it. And uh, so I can't really say enough uh, and praise those caregivers, particularly as they uh, faced COVID-19. Yeah, what was the complications that COVID-19 created? <laughs> Chris, you can... You can. Uh, uh, that would be staffing and resource challenges. Uh, you know, we, uh, we knew early on that there was a finite amount of uh, personal protective equipment, such as gloves, masks, um, 
that was a challenge. Making sure we had enough soap was enough challenge at one point, but we got through it. We, uh, I will have to say, this is a, one of the best organizations when it comes to leadership that I've ever worked for. We came together early on on March 2nd, started meeting twice a day to make sure that our, all of our nurses and patient-facing staff had every piece of equipment they needed. So uh, I'm very proud of Not that. only that, but you were protecting the uh, most vulnerable. And, and fortunately, Jeffrey, we did have some very generous donors uh, who donated all kinds of supplies, including sheets, uh, bed sheets, and our uh, volunteers made uh, gowns for our caregivers, handmade gowns. Sharon, if someone wants to donate uh, to Haven Hospice, I know there's the Attic Store, which is on 8th Avenue right, near right. the uh, Police Department, which I've actually been in many years ago. Good. Good. And, come uh, back. I'm going to come back. <laughs> I definitely. I don't need to clutter. I'm overcluttered as it is, but <laughs> I move into a bigger house and maybe uh, I'll come back. And it's but right it's, around our office. It's right around our office. Yeah, it's, it a, it's actually a really nice store. It's got some cool stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, I remember I got an old, uh, I think it was a vintage Dior tie. But uh, how are the people in Gainesville supposed to, or around North Central Florida, supposed to give back? If they, if they want to, to Haven Hospice, which the, what is the best way? Well, certainly the uh, Gainesville Attic is one way to do it, whether you want to donate, whether you want to volunteer. Uh, our attics are really staffed by volunteers. We have two paid people. We have a manager and an assistant manager in each of our five resale stores, and uh, the rest are volunteers. And so we always appreciate donations uh, when you're moving to a smaller or downsizing or moving to a larger uh, home. Uh, certainly you can make donations uh, directed to Haven Hospice, tax deductible donations uh, at our Gainesville location, which is out on uh, 4200 Northwest 90th Boulevard. Well, thank you very much. We are just getting started, but we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back in just a few minutes on Melden Law and Friends. I was driving behind a lady, and very suddenly she moved out of the way. There was a log laying in the road, and when I hit my brakes, I went on top of the log. I had 280 discs. I just haven't been the same since. Jeffrey Melden fought for me all the way. Him and his team really went there for me. Throughout the whole lawsuit, he made sure that my bills was paid. It was never no whenever I called him and asked him for something. I've done mornings here on Sky Radio for 17 years. Jeffrey Meldon started doing his weekend show here 16 years ago. One of the things that separates Jeffrey is I don't see him out there hollering for people's business. I see him out there investing in the community. He's touched a lot of lives, and a lot of it he'll never know. What a difference he made in somebody's life about information that he has shared on the air. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. Uh, another uh, announcement, uh, we are having our uh, PAVE Stop the Violence rally uh, this Saturday morning, July 31st, 10 to 12 at Citizens Park uh, in Gainesville. Uh, let's support the uh, a great organization put together by Reverend Carl Anderson, who is... Uh, giving away 3,000 uh, backpacks filled with school supplies. Uh, the purpose of the organization is to try to give um, constructive, progressive alternatives to at-risk at risk use within our community. And Melden Law will be uh, supporting the backpacks as well as our new Melden Law sunglasses. So uh, come and uh, support... Uh, the kids support the rally, and uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun, so we're very excited about that. Um, our guests today, um, Chris Russell and Sharon Jones from Haven Hospice, and you have uh, your own fundraisers coming up, right? So let's we, talk about that. We do. We have one fundraiser a year, and it's called Viva, uh, and it will be Viva 2021. Uh, it's been in existence for 19 years. Uh, this year it will be held on uh, Friday, November the 12th, out at Valley View in Alachua, which is right on the Alachua-Columbia uh, County line. And uh, this year we're honoring our caregivers. 
<clears throat> as superheroes because, of course, uh, they were treating COVID patients early on. They, they continued to treat patients no matter what. And so we thought uh, a fitting, the only theme we could uh, really propose was uh, superheroes. So our uh, 30 of our caregivers will be there. They don't know it yet, but they're going to be wearing capes, superhero capes. So everybody there will know who they are and can recognize them. And uh, certainly we're always uh, open and looking for sponsors. Uh, we do sell uh, whatever tickets are left because sponsorship includes a table, a, a table of 10. And uh, we generally sell it out. So we have entertainment. Um, we have uh, the Batmobile will be there with us this year. And so we're really looking forward to a, a fun What evening. What Batmobile? The, the old one or the new one? The old one. Oh, the original. The original the cool one. one. The cool one. The cool one, yes. That was yes. a modified uh, Corvette, right? Yes. yes, yes. And it will be parked out there so people can take pictures of it. And uh, there's also a, a Batman collection uh, that will be... Uh, inside uh, Valley View for folks to take a well, look at. Count, count me in, I'm a big Batman. So fan. November 12th, November Valley, 12th. No, Valley View, what time? Dinner, it's 5.30, so there's uh, uh, cocktails, dinner, uh, entertainment, we'll have dueling pianos, and uh, we do have a program uh, where, again, we'll honor these caregivers. Well, I think uh, Melden Law to support this. Uh, uh, well, what, are, what better uh, institution to support than Haven Hospice? How do people out there get in touch with uh, Haven Hospice? Well, first I'll say thank you to both of you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, again, you can go to our website, uh, beyourhaven.org. Uh, you can call Haven, uh, or certainly you can uh, mail, mail anything to 4200 Northwest 90th Boulevard. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's Friday, November 12th. And I don't have the 800 number committed to memory. Do you recall what it is, Chris? I do not have 800 number committed to memory, but for those of you that don't mind dialing uh, the area code, I believe our number is 352-378-2121. And I do have the 1-800 number. Oh, oh thank, you. thank you. Thank you to like, like Batman, I'm coming to the <laughs> rescue here. Here's 1-800-727-1889. So that's 1-800-727-1889, www.beyourhaven.org. And that's without the E. It's B-E-Y-O-U-R-H-A-V-E-N.org. Correct. Thank you. Well, that's really exciting, and uh, Melden Law loves community organizations, and uh, Haven Hospice is uh, an amazing uh, group of caregivers that help people get through some of the most difficult situations you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about situations where somebody may be is in an end stage of their life. What are some of the things that Haven Hospice does for the community to help people that are just, um, you know, they're dealing with uh, a loved one who's got uh, serious dementia, or they've got these problems that, uh, you know, that, that are not uh, necessarily uh, terminal illness, but other problems? Uh, um, great question. We have a um, bereavement department that not only handles grief, but handles some education in those areas. Pre-COVID, we would go out and put on groups in different ALFs around the city and around different key areas that had interest in it or would call and ask. Um, but right now, a lot of it's done by teams, so it's a lot of individual type question and answer sessions with one of these counselors now. But uh, we've got some well-trained experts in these areas and stuff to help deal with that. Uh, we do have some bereavement support groups still going on, but they're in small group numbers instead of the larger numbers that we were seeing before. So if somebody is just besides themselves because um, a loved one has some medical condition that is not easily manageable at home, uh, what are some of the examples of things you can do to help them uh, come up with solutions? Right. Um, when you are on hospice services with a terminal illness, you have a team of people helping you care for that individual. 
get a, a nurse case manager, a social worker, a chaplain if you would desire, as well as a, a nursing aide, physician, nurse practitioner. So you have a bunch of people that you can reach out to and come. We have to come and meet with you. We meet with everybody at minimum about once a week, sometimes three or four times a week, trying to get people educated up to where how to take care of somebody, how to turn somebody without making the pain worse, what types of foods they might like, what's going on with the, you know, the digestive system, why aren't they eating as much. So there's a lot of interaction between you and your team that you get to help take care of your loved one. Yeah, I mean, I'm at an age now where a lot of my friends have parents, right, who are losing it. <laughs> I'm not losing it yet, am I, Gary? I, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. The, but anyhow, those are probably the most common situations that I see where my friends are going, you know, uh, you know, mom or dad is losing it and I'm trying to do it myself um, and I'm just besides myself because um, it's not working. So do you redirect people to other agencies or does hospice uh, actually do uh, you know, some planning in those directions? Oh, oh no, absolutely. So let's say you call in for the first time and you get an information visit by one of our you know, well-trained admission staff. They're going to come out and if for whatever reason you don't have a life-limiting illness but you do need that help, they're going to coordinate getting you to one of the best fitting healthcare organizations that could be. So it may be somebody that's not a skilled mm -hmm. type of nursing or medical society, but somebody that can come and help do light housekeeping, maybe prepare lunch while you're at work. And that way when you come home, your loved one has had a meal for the day and, and has gotten cleaned up and stuff. So it, 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 we do, we try to coordinate amongst all of our partners that we work with. You guys must have a huge budget, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, we don't have, I wouldn't say we have a huge budget, but uh, one thing about hospice care is it's, it's covered by Medicare. So mm -hmm. if you have Medicare, you have a hospice benefit to it, as well as Medicaid covers it, and so do private insurances. Mm -hmm. That covers most of our patients that are on hospice services. We have about, I think it was, if I remember the numbers right, Sharon, about one and a half percent of our care is not funded by any of that. But we don't, if you call us and you need us, you need hospice services, we don't admit you based on your ability to pay. We admit you on what your needs are. And then I rely on somebody like Sharon and her fundraisers to help cover your care. So we, we take everybody that's that we take. incredible. Do. So that's a very important point for our um, listeners. Um, regardless of what your financial ability is, whether you have Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance or not, none of that, call Haven Hospice and they will help you out. Whether they, uh, they're doing it themselves or they direct you to the resources within the community, they know what to do. And uh, I, I want to thank both of you for you know, coming on uh, again. Uh, let's go talk really quickly about the uh, November 12th, Valley right. View, right. the fundraiser, because that's something that uh, people in the community, right. uh, and it, you go to your, uh, if, if you work for a company, go to your boss, tell them Haven Hospice needs support. There's this really neat party right. going on November 12th. Right. It's going to be fun. Yep. And uh, we're going to have superheroes yep. all over the that's place, right. right? That's right. And it's vital to allowing Haven Hospice to serve everyone in Correct. the community. Correct. Haven has been here 42 years. Wow. So we're looking forward to the next 42. Now, is Haven Hospice just, um, uh, the name Haven Hospice, is it just north and north central Florida where we are? Yes. In those 18 counties. In 18 counties. Yes. It's Haven wherever you yeah, are. Yeah, because I, you know, I've, I've been familiar with Haven Hospice for a long time, yeah. and uh, it's, it's an amazing resource that we have within the uh, North Florida uh, community. So please spread the word. Uh, Viva 21, November 12th at Valley View. Just go to Haven Hospice website. You will find it there, I am quite sure. And. <laughs> It is, uh, it's uh, an organization that almost everybody uh, will have some uh, connection to at some time in their life. So uh, again, 
uh, Chris Russell, uh, Sharon Jones, yeah. thank you so thank much you. for joining thank us. For and uh, Melden Law, you can count on to support Haven Hospice. Thank so you thank much. you very much. Thank you both Appreciate very it. much for having us on. I was in a truck accident. Because of the accident, I've resulted in three back surgeries. We saw advertisements on TV, and guess who popped up more often than that? It was Jeffrey. The communication that he provided was so appreciative he shows his compassion as a human. He assisted us in achieving one of our dreams, the acquisition of a home. And we're here today with smiles on our face with the assistance from Jeffrey. And I was in an accident. Someone ran a red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Belden because you're going to need help and they will help you. The Melden Law Firm from the beginning has been built on giving back to the community. I enjoy coming to work as much today as I did in 1971 when I opened my practice. I don't look at this as a job, I look at it as serving other people. While we're alive, what better feeling can you achieve than knowing that you've helped other people and thereby you enrich your own life? Being a client at Melden Law was special because I felt like I was really being listened to and I felt welcomed by the entire staff. If I were in a situation where I needed legal advice and help, I would absolutely reach out to Jeffrey because his reputation alone speaks for itself. But on a personal level, I know that he would take care of me and help me solve those problems and I would feel safe with him. I've done mornings here on Sky Radio for 17 years. Jeffrey Melden started doing his weekend show here 16 years ago. One of the things that separates Jeffrey is I don't see him out there hollering for people's business. I see him out there investing in the community. He's touched a lot of lives, and a lot of it he'll never know what a difference he made in somebody's life about information that he has shared on the air. I was riding as a passenger in my friend's vehicle. A fellow ran a stop sign and we T-boned him had neck and shoulder and knee injuries and didn't know what to do and I remember seeing one of Jeffrey's ads so I gave him a call he explained everything to me I'd go see him and everything was done everything was taken care of don't waste your time with anybody else go see Jeffrey welcome to Melden Law and Friends uh, we are here for the second part of our uh, exciting show today. Uh, I want to thank our guests from Haven Hospice. What an uh, incredible organization. And uh, I, I really uh, want to encourage everybody to support what they're doing uh, at their Viva 21 uh, event. Uh, look it up at uh, Haven Hospice. Uh, just Google it and you will find more information. Um, our second guest today, I'm so excited about, uh, Tootie Arlette. And uh, Tootie, uh, I know you have a job as uh, a day job where you're uh, involved with uh, insurance. Yes, sir. Uh, with uh, Ference uh, uh, Group. Yes, sir. And I, I happen to know uh, Jeff Ference very well, and his dad was a guest on our radio Earl, show yes. on the sky about five years ago. So I know the whole family and that's a long time uh, uh, institution in yes, Gainesville sir. Yes, sir. and uh, we really appreciate uh, everything that Ference does as a matter of fact um, at Meldon Law if you have uh, health insurance it's with uh, the uh, help of the Ference uh, group. Florida Blue absolutely yeah. yes sir. So tell yes, us sir. how did you get into uh, insurance? Well uh, I was working with the Diocese of St. Augustine uh, for the past five years and uh, doing project management for them. Um, came back to Gainesville, had some opportunities here. Uh, because of COVID, I don't want to blame everything on COVID, but because of COVID, I was uh, kind of 
left out. So I started looking for work, and um, through finding work, um, I needed to get insurance for my, myself and my kids, and I was able to do that through uh, Ferentz Insurance. Um, once I was talking with them and talking with Jeff, I, you know, kind of said, hey, uh, or he said to me, you know, you can do this. And I said, do what? And he goes, you can sell insurance. And I said, uh, well, you're a lot more uh, <laughs> able to say that than me because at the time I wasn't so uh, feeling great about myself in regards to what I was doing. But they've helped me along. They've, uh, I've been able to become now an agent with them, and I'm uh, very excited about my opportunities right did, now. Did Jeff wonderful. take you over to Cedar Key to go fishing yet? No, not yet. <laughs> I'm good friends with Jeff. We used to be friends in, uh, in high school, of course, and boys club and all that kind of stuff. So. Oh, so did you grow up in the Gainesville Yes, sir. I'm, I'm from Gainesville. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, were you born and raised here? I was born in Texas. Uh, I was, uh, my dad went to uh, University of Florida back in 1956 to come to school here. Uh, before the Castro regime took over, mm -hmm. and uh, through all his um, back and forths to going to school here, uh, he had already been dating my mother, and throughout that time, they knew things were getting worse. So when he asked for her hand in marriage, my grandfather said, please get her out of here because this is getting worse as the days go on. So when you say get her out of here, where, where are you talking? She was in Cuba. Okay. My parents are from Cuba. Um, they were born and raised in Cuba. My dad's idea was to come to school at the University of Florida and go back to Cuba and raise a family, and uh, that was all taken from them. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. So they raised a family here. They love uh, the United States of America. They love Florida. The University of Florida was a, an ideal place for my dad, I think, uh, with the people that were in uh, Cuba at the time. He went to a very uh, prestigious school, um, Belang, and, um, and a lot of those students were coming to the United States to go to school. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them were staying in Cuba, of course, to go to school, but a lot of them came here, and they found their opportunity here. What cities uh, were your mom and dad from in Cuba? Um, my, my mom was from Matanzas, and uh, my dad was, I think, Ciego de Avila. And they're both small little places, but uh, it's funny that their parents and their families moved to Havana um, my grandfather on my mom's side had won a lottery in a, in a, in a raffle in a newspaper, and they had won a house. So wow. <laughs> they were able to move to Havana. And uh, through that, my, my, I come from a, a long line of teachers and other uh, folks in, in my mom's side of the family where music and art and teaching was part of their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, being in Havana was kind of the place to be because all these other little villages even though they were maintained in very well uh you know good little cities um havana was where you know most of the things were happening in cuba um, so my uh my dad's family moved um, to havana it's interesting my thought my my grandfather on my dad's side was an uh, agricultural engineer and uh, through being in that, he had an opportunity to take a class here at the University of Florida when my dad was six years old. So they came to, the, to you know, my dad wanted to come with him. Uh, that summer, while my grandfather was in school, I believe the story goes that my dad was just too rambunctious and my grandmother took him back to Cuba because he couldn't, <laughs> I guess he couldn't study or couldn't get all the yeah. stuff done that he needed to do. But that, that set a course for my dad to want to come to the University of Florida. He really liked Gainesville, and, uh, and we've made a, you know, he's made his career here at the University of Florida, uh, uh, computer science and, and uh, uh, professor of medicine for uh, the University of Florida so for over fair, 45 years. Wow. <clears throat> so is it fair to say that you uh, bleed orange and blue? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir, we do. We really do. Uh, well, that's, we've been that, around here for a long time. Even though I'm from Texas, even though I have a stronghold for, for the Texan in me, um, yes, we are all, we're all Gator fans around here. So where'd you go to high school in Gainesville? I went to Beholtz High School. Beholtz. What yep. year did you graduate? 84. Okay. Little, you look good. You're a little younger. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I was a GHS graduate in 96. Okay. okay. So you maybe know the, the Blair brothers, uh, David or Don of Blair. Of course. Yes, yeah. sir. We used to play bracketball at their place over the years. We've oh, been yeah. friends with them over the years. Absolutely. So, yes. so Don was my coach uh, growing up. Okay. Yeah, we had a good time. He was awesome. Good, good awesome. man. Did you play tennis? 
I play tennis. That was my sport. I figured I couldn't play football or basketball as much as I thought I was going to growing up. <laughs> so tennis uh, was a good fit for me. But so you said you were 86? 96. 96. Yeah, okay, yeah. very a good. Bit, a little bit later. So, okay. so we, but, you know, it's great because people in, that are born and raised in Gainesville end up staying here a lot of the times because it's a great place yes, uh, to raise a family. The community is uh, very uh, closely knit. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure we have a lot of friends in common. Yes, we do. I'm sure we do. <laughs> I, know, I know we do. Yeah. I know we do, for sure. So I want to uh, switch the topic a little bit yes, sir. to um, the political situation in Cuba today because it seems as though there's some undercurrents of discontent now. And I know that uh, you're very passionate about uh, Cuba. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you you know, uh, what your involvement is now and what your desires are as far as uh, the magnificent country of Cuba. Well, yes, sir. Um, I had been able to visit Cuba in 2016. I was very fortunate to go for a week with some friends and it was an amazing experience. Everything my parents and my grandparents had explained to me about, you know, what Cuba was, was everything and more. It really was. The place is gorgeous. You've been to Havana. It, it's like around every corner there's something beautiful. It really is. So um, my passion and, and really what I'm doing is a very small part. Um, I'm friends with people on Facebook that I have enjoy, you know, talking with and all that. But when I saw on, on July 11th how people were coming out in the streets of Cuba, it made me something in me just wanted I wanted to do something for the people there uh, you you we have a, a great friend that we share Elio Elio and I have had many conversations about this and um, I feel for him I feel for other people that are from Cuba they have left because they have no other options okay mm -hmm. so um, really my passion is for the Cuban people I want to I really want to try as best I can to so they have support we need to have support for the Cuban people because uh, if the United States can help really the help is going to come from diplomacy um, getting Spain involved is a huge part um, getting the uh, European Union involved other countries in the world to help in regards to showing the world that the dictatorship in Cuba is just that. It's an, illeg an illegitimate government. They want to say it is. And as the last 62 years have gone by, they obviously are a legitimate government, but they've lost that to the Cuban people. For those listeners out there, let's talk a little bit about what happened in early July sure. and, and what caused uh, what has become a, a worldwide um, kind of event in terms of supporting the Cuban people and, and yes. how you know the countries can make sure that these people are, are, are heard. Absolutely. Yeah. I think part of what you're hearing, uh, the propaganda coming from Cuba, is that uh, because of COVID, that uh, people are out on the streets, they have their families dying, which is all true. But it's not why they're out on the streets. No. These people are tired. They're, they've had enough is enough for them. They've lost the fear of going to get beat up. Now they just want to try to get out in the streets and say what they have to say so people will understand. Uh, they've, the, the Cuban government has shut down the internet. They have, they have like a light switch. They can turn it on and off. You know, if you're staying in a hotel, a lot of Cubans will ride around that hotel trying to get internet. Um, and then they can send messages to people, their friends in, in Havana, let's say, or maybe even friends and family that they have in other parts of Cuba. So very important for the U.S., let's just say the U.S., to help in the regard of having internet for those people all the time. I've heard of things happening that uh, either Bezos or some other people will be able to help in that happening, but it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So they are now shut off. They, don't, they can't communicate with each other. Um, it makes it very difficult. It's the Cuban people that are going to pull themselves out of this. It's not going to be the Marines. I mean, a lot of people want the Marines, but I don't think it's going to be that that productive that way. Mm -hmm. A lot more, we'll have a lot more bloodshed that way. You know, it's interesting you talk about um, the internet because in December of 2016, I went to um, 
Havana for a week. And um, I stayed with two friends um, and one of my friend's daughters who was with us um, was um, intent on communicating uh, using the internet. And the, we, we did an Airbnb and it was kind of cool because at that point there was optimism that maybe, you know, things were going to change and open up. The internet was uh, happening and the exchange of information is crucial to uh, the Cubans regaining yes, their sir. country. So, yes, so I remember um, my friend's daughter going up to the corner to buy this little car. They had an internet cafe, mm -hmm. and you would have to pay some money to go sit in this internet cafe, uh, and uh, you know you'd buy you know a couple hours worth of time. And yes, she, but she was going back and forth. We were just a couple blocks away, and she she kept running back and forth to communicate with uh, her friends yes and that's the first time I realized oh they don't have um, uh, easy internet like we have sure. and that the uh, exchange of ideas and information is ex is limited yes sir yes, so sir. Um, first firsthand I saw uh, just how number one it was uh, difficult it was expensive and it was considered a privilege in order to be able to uh, get to uh, a place where you could get internet connection. So anyhow, that was one of my uh, first-hand observations. The other thing that I thought was pretty cool at that time was um, we wound up driving around uh, with cab drivers. Now, as I understand it, there were cab drivers that were driving these uh, newer um, cars that were provided by Russia or somebody, and that uh, there were the older classic Chevys and Fords that you, you see in all the pictures, and we wanted to go with the older cars because those were the entrepreneurs. Yes, sir. And we had, we met some incredible Cubans, and we said, you know, you know, why are you driving a cab? And he said, number one, we can make more money doing this, and then our goal is to save enough money so that we can, you know, buy a um, an apartment, to buy a condo, because most of the people outside the uh, uh, military and the upper echelon folks in Cuba uh, don't own property yes, there. Sir. So it makes it uh, a much different uh, community than uh, than uh, anywhere else. Uh, not being able to have ownership, we, I want to. Um, get back to that point, uh, we're going to be taking a, a another break, our final break, uh, for Melden Law and Friends, and we will be back in just 60 seconds. I've done mornings here on Sky Radio for 17 years. Jeffrey Melden started doing his weekend show here 16 years ago. One of the things that separates Jeffrey is I don't see him out there hollering for people's business. I see him out there investing in the community. He's touched a lot of lives, and a lot of it he'll never know what a difference he made in somebody's life about information that he has shared on the air. I was driving behind a lady, and very suddenly she moved out of the way. There was a log laying in the road. And when I hit my brakes, I went on top of the log. I had 280 discs. I just haven't been the same since. Jeffrey Melden fought for me all the way. Him and his team really went there for me. Throughout the whole lawsuit, he made sure that my bills was paid. It was never no whenever I called him and asked him for something. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends and our special guest, Tootie Ariette. Ariette. Okay, si Ariette. Si, senor. So, so anyhow, uh, <laughs> yes, as uh, some of you may know, um, my wife Patricia is uh, Cuban-born, and uh, uh, her mom, who uh, lives with us, is uh, also Cuban-born. One of the neat things being uh, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators is that we get to go to all these sporting events. And my, uh, my mother-in-law is 88 years old, uh, born in uh, Cuba, 
and uh, when we go to baseball, she knows all about it. <laughs> then, uh, I, we call her Mommy. Mommy, how do you know uh, about baseball? She says, well, when I was uh, uh, you know, a young girl in, uh, in Cuba, in Guantanamo, mm -hmm. okay, I played on a traveling baseball team. So she, when she goes to uh, the Gator baseball games and softball games, she's intent on what's going on. She knows exactly what the strategies are. And she gets so nervous, she has to get up from her seat to walk back to where the concession area is because she's so involved in it. So uh, that's, that's something that, that, uh, really that we recently learned. Uh, I didn't know that. That is passion. And, uh, and uh, my, my wife, Patricia, um, was um, born when uh, just after Castro uh, came into power. And uh, her family had a uh, uh, prosperous business, the largest department store in Guantanamo, a very, very nice home that's now in the uh, uh, National, uh, International Registry of Historic Places. And we still have pictures from uh, Cuba uh, when she was uh, born. And uh, shortly after she was born, uh, the, uh, her father, who was very, very close to um, everybody at the United States Naval Base in Guantanamo, uh, was accused of being a CIA spy. Uh, they came to uh, the house, and as my, my uh, mother-in-law tells it, they said, um, uh, your, your husband uh, is involved with the CIA, and in Spanish or in Cuba, some CIA had to do with an incorporated uh, incorporation, and she says, "Well, what company are you talking about?" Okay. She had no idea. What she CIA had no was. idea what the CIA oh, was, God, right? And uh, they had been—they were friends with uh, with all of the uh, you know folks from the United States, uh, you know, naval base. So um, they had to. It took them three years to get out of for to get uh, my. Um, wife's father out of prison. Wow. One of his old friends went to Castro. The old friend had been uh, uh, ambassador to Russia and he went to uh, Castro and vouched for him. Wow. But they took uh, their home, they took their business, they took every penny they owned mm -hmm. and they had to um, flee to Venezuela. Okay, And uh, at about uh, 22 years ago um, the same thing happened in Venezuela, yes, and that's when my wife moved to Miami in the United States and I said, I see. I see it coming again. Yes. And her family had another prosperous business in Venezuela, mm -hmm. and uh, the same thing is happening twice to her in uh, her lifetime. Yes, sir. So uh, in our home, we're very, very um, uh, sympathetic to what's going on in Cuba, and uh, uh, I, we, Carrie and I, are wearing our SOS yes, buttons. Can you tell us a little bit about what SOS? Well, is? this is through our friends at Miaba. Uh, we've been fortunate to have these for our our podcast today. Uh, this is in reaction to, let's just say, what's happening here in the United States. The people here, the Cubans that are here, we had, they just had a huge rally in Washington, D.C. this past weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll tell you something, there are people in Washington, D.C. from different parts of the country that have been going since July 11th, mm -hmm. staying there out in front of the White House, letting uh, President Biden know that they're there and that more are coming. And uh, in conjunction with everything that's happened, this is for the people in Cuba to understand that there are people here in the United States, which they've been told their whole lives that we're the imperialists, we're the bad guys, mm -hmm. okay? And it's the people that are here that are helping support the people there. Uh, one of the chants that I've heard out there is that while the Cuban people are on the streets, we're going to be on the streets. Mm -hmm. While the Cuban people are there fighting, we're going to be here fighting. <clears throat> so it's really... Uh, it's, I want to say it's international. I don't think it's international yet because there are so many people that don't know about what's happening in Cuba. Um, even people that I know here in this town that know me, 
uh, once I start talking to them about it, they don't really get it. They don't truly understand what's happening. And now they hear all this stuff about, hey, now the Cubans are finally, no, they've been struggling for the past 62 years. Mm -hmm. Now's the time that these younger generation has really said enough is enough. We're tired of this. We have no fear anymore. So that, those are some of the things that are happening uh, to support the people in Cuba. And the importance is that it's expanding outside of South Florida, which you know, Cuban Americans have been extremely influential, ex uh, extremely successful in, in South Florida. I have an office in Fort Lauderdale. Yes, sir. And they are absolutely uh, on top of everything that's going on. They, they're, edu they're educating, you know, anyone that moves in there as to what, you know, what to do, how to do it, yes, sir. you know, when Cubans come over from, from uh, the island. But now the, the, the rest of the United States kind of knows you know what's been happening over on that island which is yes, unfortunate sir. and you know the story uh, like my father's wife had to go through is not an uncommon story no sir I was just gonna say it's yeah. a great story and not to uh, take that away from anything but there are very there are a lot of stories like that mm -hmm. and it, it's a shame that it's happened for so long um, part of the uh, understanding of what we're trying to do uh, Facebook has been a great uh, platform in regards to people getting the word out there's a group called all things Cuban there are other uh, folks in Miami that have created their own podcasts over the past literally five or six years and talking with people in Cuba because they have mm -hmm. had internet here and there right so yes they, they pick up this this guy uh, Oliota uh, Ola Otola and uh, Anyway, there are a few others that are on the internet Monday through Friday mm -hmm. for an hour or two, and they're constantly talking to the people in Cuba saying, we're here, we're supporting you, let's make this thing happen. Um, because there are a lot of people in this country that want to see a free Cuba. There are a lot of people in this country that, I guess, want the embargo to, to, to you know, let's, let's pull the embargo down so that the, the Cubans in, in Cuba have a chance. It's not about the embargo. Uh, the embargo is something that uh, on paper is a propaganda for the Cuban government to say that this is why this is happening, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, the U.S. still deals with Cuba on an annual basis. There's more food that comes from the United States than anywhere else in the world. Right. So the chicken that they're getting, the beef that they're getting is all coming from this country. So those things are not part of the embargo. but. That you'll you'll see that the propaganda that the Cuban government is putting out is saying everything opposite. Mm -hmm. Okay, they've been manipulating the system. Uh, they're just trying to make each other rich. All those generals and the people that are supporting now the new director of the Cuban uh, government is a guy that they have picked up. The the, the the Castros have kind of bred into their their way of thought and trying to get him in regards to now now he's going to be the oppressor mm -hmm. he's going to be the one who's going to tell them well, this is what's going to happen well one of the unique uh, i just want to say this one of the unique characteristics of cuba which differentiates it from some other uh communist countries is that it's it's an island yes sir and so the internet changed and the radio waves changed a lot of things but we only have a couple minutes left i'm yes. letting jeffrey take it away yeah and, uh, i want to know what are the action items that people can uh take to support SOS. Okay. Um, really calling uh, letters, emails to uh, local congressmen, local um, uh, state representatives. Uh, Marco Rubio, the, the, the mayor of, of, of Miami, let me mm -hmm. say that guy has gone above and beyond. Uh, he is a great leader um, in regards to what he's been able to do in Miami. Uh, the Cubans have a lot of um, Political power, I guess. A say. lot. No, they they run. Uh, they've been for many years now, for thirty or forty years. Yes. You know, Manny Diaz, the coach of the Miami Hurricanes, his father was the mayor of Miami <laughs> uh, twenty years ago, right? Yeah. Even though we're Gators, we'll, <laughs> we'll let that pass. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we got to give props to where we got to give props to to and but and uh, the uh, the it's just incredible. I, I love uh, going down uh, to Miami and, and learning because. Yes. This is a great time. So before we uh, get going, is there anything else that we can uh, do out there to help support the Cuban cause? Just get the word out. Uh, that's why I'm here in regards to that. Um, get the word out. Try to support the Cuban people in Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, see if there's an opportunity to help keep the Internet up for those people in Cuba. Um, 
because the dictators, all they're trying to do is, is overpower them in regards to they cut their internet, they cut their power, they cut their water. It, it's, it's something that's been going on for you know, long enough. Well, uh, we're at the end of our show, but I do hope that the internet revolution creates a uh, another revolution. Yes, sir. Because uh, I really, what I hear that's is need. that that's what's going on. That yeah. the young people, uh, uh, by virtue of getting information through the internet, yes. um, are changing the attitudes. That people are not willing to just say. Uh, you know, we're, we're satisfied uh, with what's going on. They're not satisfied, they want change, and that we can, we can help by spreading the word and making sure that information gets to the people of Cuba and yes, let sir. them determine for themselves the course of action exactly. that needs to be That's taken. That's what we're hoping to do, yes, sir. Well, thank you very thank you much. All. Thank no, you very and, much. Uh, it. My pleasure. And yeah. this is the end of Meldon Law and Friends, uh, edition number. 40 and uh, again this Saturday put your glasses on and come to the uh, pave stop the violence uh, Saturday 10 to 12 out at uh, Citizens Park and uh, we look forward to joining you and thank you again for joining us on Melden Law and Friends